We're going to have a second look at the Battle of Jericho, and this time as it's recorded in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, and we are starting off at verse 1. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Now march round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times, and the priests blow in the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests, and he said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So we had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So, on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day... They circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, uh, the people shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And we leave the account of that victory for the Lord there.
Although God had promised to give the Israelites the promised land, the mighty walled city stood in their way. Unless they found a way around those walls, the city could not be taken. And if the city was not taken, the promised land would never be theirs. So let's think about this walled city, Jericho. What was Jericho to Joshua and the people of God? Why was it so important? Why was it so significant to them? Well, it was a few things. It was a city of uh, pagan unbelief. It was a city of strategic importance. It was a city of human impossibility. And all of those things were equally important. The unbelief had to be confronted because the corrupt Canaanite religion, with all of its idols and immorality, could never coexist with the people of God and the true worship of God. It must be confronted and defeated. Therefore, this city had a spiritual importance. And it had a military importance too. Jericho was one of the oldest cities that there was. And it was located close to a river, so they had a water supply. The Canaanites built Jericho as a kind of gateway fortress to their land. Any invading enemy would have to deal with the great walled city of Jericho in order to get to the promised land. It couldn't be bypassed. It was too large. It was too important. It was too strong to be ignored. Archaeologists estimate that the roots date back to about 9,000 BC. It was one of the greatest challenges that Joshua and his people would face. And it was in a strategic location. If the Israelites could take Jericho, they would divide the land of Canaan. And if the land was divided, then the people would be more easily conquered. But Jericho was well fortified, as we've heard so many times already. The wall was huge. And there was not just one set, but there were two sets of walls surrounding the city. The city itself was built upon a mound, but the walls were around 20 to 30 feet high and almost as thick around it. So they were absolutely huge. There's no denying that. Jericho, like I said, contained um, a source of fresh water coming into it. And archaeologists discovered that a vast amount of earthen jars were filled with grain, which meant that they were prepared to survive any attack from enemies. They had a way of sustaining themselves, even if enemies surrounded them. But it didn't take a length of time to defeat Jericho. It took just seven days, which in itself was incredible, because this city had stood undefeated for thousands and thousands of years. No enemy was ever able to conquer it until this point. And there was a very good reason for that. And that's because, humanly speaking, defeating Jericho, breaking down those walls, was impossible. And that's one of the most important things for us to remember when we consider what happened. That it was totally impossible to bring down those walls. Totally, absolutely, completely and utterly impossible. There's no two ways about it. But Jericho stood between them and all that God had promised. Anyone with any sense would accept that it's not going to happen and go and find something else to do. But not these men. These men, God's people, won a great victory that day. And how did it happen? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 30 answers with two words. By faith. By faith, they won the victory. By faith, 
That's as simple as that, by faith. Now, the normal plan for overcoming a city like that would have to build a siege ramp against the walls and march in with your entire army. That would have been a massive undertaking that would have taken like six months to a year. And during that time, you would cut off all supplies from your enemy and hopefully starve them at the same time. But for Joshua and his army, there must have been an incredible temptation to use brute force and power to attempt to follow the normal plan for this kind of thing. Because I was interested to find out that actually they totally outnumbered the people of Jericho. I find it really surprising that the estimated population of Jericho was something like a couple of thousand people. Yet we're told that the nation of Israel numbered over two million with 600,000 in their army. So their army alone outnumbered the people of Jericho 500 to 1. They could walk this one, surely. Surely, if you look at the number of people there were, this would be easy. But maybe, just maybe, the real battle that these men had to fight was not one where they had to tear down massive walls of Jericho, but to resist doing things the way they always would. And instead, listen to God for his instructions. Because it's hard to follow God's plan when you've got one of your own. And that brings us to God's plan. Now, during the US Civil War, Abraham Lincoln met with a group of ministers for a prayer breakfast. Lincoln was not a churchgoer, but he was a man of deep, if at sometimes unorthodox, faith. And at one point, one of the ministers said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. Lincoln's response showed far greater insight. No, gentlemen, let's pray that we are on God's side. Lincoln reminded those ministers that religion is not a tool by which we get God to do what we want him to do, but an invitation to open ourselves to being and to doing what God wants. The Israelites were on God's side, and we know that they did not win the Battle of Jericho because it was God that won the Battle of Jericho. He did it through the Israelites, of course, but it was him that won. And we know he was right there because back in the day, the Ark of the Covenant was used to um, symbolise God's presence. Now, can anyone remember how many times in the reading the Ark of the Covenant was mentioned, apart from you, Ian, because you've got it in front of you? (laughs) Any ideas? Well, it was mentioned, it depends which version, it was mentioned about 10 times um, from Joshua 6 to uh, 6.4 to 6.13, which is a lot of times. They wanted us to remember that the ark was there. The ark represented God's presence. God's presence was right there with them when they went to Jericho. God's presence was the focal point of everything they did. God's presence was essential. And it was God's presence that won the battle, not the people. Before this point in the book of Joshua, we've heard the way in which Israel had been working towards the promised land and the way in which God had been involved at every stage. He spoke to his people. He worked miracles before their eyes. He showed them his power and his faithfulness and he never, ever left them. And now we see the Israelites actually taking the land that's been promised to them so long ago. Up until now, they've been being prepared for this moment and now it's their time to take action. And they've got to do whatever it is that God tells them to do. And so God instructed Joshua and his men to do a number of unusual things. Things 
that were perhaps not of very much military value and didn't really make sense. They were told to march around the city once a day for six days, march with the Ark of the Covenant, put seven priests in front of the Ark, on the seventh day march around it seven times, have the priests blow ram's horns as they marched, on the seventh time around on the seventh day have the people shout, and when the people shout the walls will come down, and when the walls will come down enter the city and conquer it. For six days, they marched around the city once and returned to their camp. On the seventh day, at the end of the seventh time around, as they were instructed, the priests sounded a long blast and the people shouted as loud as they could. What are the chances of those walls of Jericho falling down? Slim to none, if you ask me. Marching, blowing horns, shouting. Sounds like something you'd see at a World Cup match, but not for us, apparently. But I'm absolutely certain you wouldn't find any military leader who recommended marketing around a wall to be a fail-safe plan to break them down. But the thing is, God was simply asking them to be obedient. In other words, he was asking them to just put their dependence on him. You see, God had already said that he was going to give them the city. This is what God said to Joshua before he gave him the plan. He said, back in verse 2 of the reading that we heard, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I have delivered. Not I will deliver or I might deliver, but I have delivered. It's past tense. It's happened. As far as God is concerned, it's a done deal. It's a certainty, and the people of Israel can be sure of it. And that's something that shouldn't surprise us at all, because we know that God can do the impossible. He goes ahead of us, and he prepares things for us. And in a way, this battle was over before it even started. God promised to deliver the city, and that's exactly what he did. And although the people of Jericho didn't know it, they were defeated before the walls ever fell. They lost the battle when God got involved. You see, it was God who made all the difference at Jericho. Those high walls were no match for God. We don't know exactly how he did it, only that he did and that the city was taken by Joshua and his people. The Israelites had to have faith that this would happen, though. They had to actually do what they were asked. They had to trust God for the outcome, however unlikely it seemed. There was a day when a guy called Robert Morrison was a passenger on a ship to China. History records that he was the first Protestant missionary to China. One day, the captain of the ship asked a rather disparaging question. What do you think you're going to do? Convert China? No, came the quiet response. I don't think I'll ever convert China. I think God will. You see, it's the same faith that brought down the walls of Jericho. It's so obvious that without God, it was never going to work. Because walking around the wall itself doesn't make them fall down. Going to China as a missionary on your own doesn't convert them to Christianity. But allowing God to work through them does. See, God promised to defeat the city, but they still had to take their part. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think, if we just hand things over to God, that'll be fine. And it is, but we've still got to do our part. We've still got to seek him for our plans for what we should be doing. And we still have to take action. So I wonder, why does God do things like this? Why does he put us up against impossible situations 
and then ask us to do strange things? Why does he not just give us something logical to do? Why does he not just make things straightforward and easy? Well, perhaps in this situation, it's because they needed to act in faith. It was faith, like I've said, that brought down those walls. Someone was calculated that if you had an army of 600,000 men, which is what we reckon we had here, and you line them up, giving them two feet in front and two feet behind, then they stretch out nearly 455 miles. I promise you it wasn't me that did this calculation. If you line up 10 shoulder to shoulder, it would still be a line of 45 miles. And according to Google, the average walking speed of a young adult is 3.5 miles an hour. So if you have a line 45 miles long and walk 3.5 miles an hour, it'll take you a little over 12 hours from beginning of line to the end of line for everybody to walk around the city once. That's a lot of walking. That's a massive undertaking. We don't know how Joshua did it, but he did. It must have taken them all day. It's hard to believe that that many people could be so dedicated and so obedient and do that for seven days in a row. It's amazing what God can accomplish if his people are obedient. God could have demolished those walls on the first day if he wanted, but you know, he made them walk around it seven times. And sometimes in life, we don't get things instantly, do we? Sometimes we need a little patience and perseverance when it comes to following God's plan for our lives. We need to act in faith. We need to have a faith that actually does something. And we need perseverance along with that. God honoured their faith. And their faith caused them to walk around the city faithfully, day after day. We talk a lot about faith, don't we? But I wonder, what is faith? Well, someone once said, faith is belief plus unbelief, and acting on the belief part. I'll say that again. Faith is belief plus unbelief, but acting on the belief part. We all know that belief is involved in faith. You have to believe something before you can have faith. You have to believe that um, if you go to a doctor, you've got to believe that he can help you, otherwise you wouldn't bother going. If you get on a bush, you've got to believe it's going to the right place. Belief is always the first part of faith. It's the assurance that certain things are true. And faith is acting on that belief, however little it might be. It means taking a step of faith, however small, however hesitant, however unsure of yourself you might be. And in that light, we can understand this story more clearly. It took faith to walk around that wall seven times and seven times on the seventh day. God told them that the walls would fall down, but they still had to do the marching. They still had to act in faith. They might not have been 100% certain about what would happen. And I imagine that they weren't 100% certain. They walked around the walls. And you can imagine the scene, can't you? Thousands of Jews line up on the first day. And they march around the city. I imagine if you were in Jericho, that would be quite intimidating, the sound of them walking around. But then they go back to camp and nothing has happened. The next day they walk around again and nothing happened. The third day they walk around and nothing happened. Only this time, you can imagine the people inside are starting to relax. They're not intimidating, they're just walking around a wall. Nothing is happening. Have those people got nothing better to do? And outside, you can imagine them complaining about it. 
wondering what's going on and why nothing is happening and why they don't just attack them and have done with it. On the fourth day, they marched around again and nothing happened. The people of Jericho would probably be even more relaxed and a lot less intimidated than day one. On the fifth day, the same thing. The sixth day, the same thing. But on the seventh day, on the trip around the city, the horns start to blow, the people let out a shout, and the walls come down. That's it. That's how faith works. I'm sure the Israelites um, will have been people who doubted. I'm sure within them, they might have doubted. I'm sure there will have been some critics. There probably will have been some grumbling in the ranks, because let's face it, they were walking around in hot sand day after day, and nothing was happening. It will have been hot and nasty, and extremely frustrating. But they did it because they acted on their belief. They acted in faith. They took a step of faith and God honoured it. It seemed impossible, but now it was done. And J. Hudson Taylor was a man of dynamic faith whose missionary efforts helped him to open China to the gospel. Time and time again he saw God do amazing things in the face of hopeless situations. Reflecting on his experiences... He remarked, there are three stages in most great tasks undertaken for God. Stage one, impossible. Stage two, difficult. And stage three, done. Impossible, difficult and done. And I reckon it was like that for Joshua and his people. And sometimes it's a bit like that for us too. Most of us have times in our lives when we face seemingly impossible situations. When we try and tackle it on our own, It will stay exactly that, impossible. But when we have God on our side, or rather when we're on God's side and following his plan for our lives, then he can take the impossible and make it happen. When he wants to do something miraculous, he will start with something impossible. And you know, like I said before, the real battle of Jericho was not with the Canaanites. The real battle was with the hearts of the people of God. Would they believe what God had said? Would they risk public humiliation to do what he'd asked them? Would they do the seemingly absurd to um, see what God would do? Would they trust him to do the impossible? At Jericho, maybe the greatest miracle was that the people obeyed God and did as they were told, despite how strange it seemed. It might have taken them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to be ready to trust God and obey his commands. But they were here and they did exactly as he asked. We all face impossible situations from time to time. We all need to simply remember that God has a plan for every problem and he's the power to see that his plan always gets done. The thing we often like though is patience, waiting for God's timing. It's like we want the walls to fall on the first day rather than day seven. It's like we want to do things our way instead of doing things God's way. But, you see, God didn't make the walls fall on the first day or the second, third, fourth, fifth or sixth. Joshua and the people could have prayed until they were blue in the face, but it would not have hurried the will of God. It was God's will that the walls would come down on the seventh day after the people had done exactly as he had asked. And if Joshua and the people would have decided at any point that they had a better plan, that they could hurry things along, then they would have failed. But because they waited on God and were completely obedient, God brought down the walls with nothing more than a shout. 
with the impossible situations we face. It might be time for us to shout and bring the walls down. It might be time for us to patiently, patiently wait. But whichever it is, let's remember that whatever we face, however big the city walls seem that are preventing us from taking the land that is ours, we're following God's plan. And when we're on his side, we know that we can completely trust him for everything. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can trust you with every little part of our lives. We thank you that you take care of the details. Lord, help us to step out in faith when you ask us to do something that might seem a little strange or that we're a little uncertain of. Lord, help us to totally trust you 100%. Amen.